Kenneth Mitt is a freelance WordPress developer from Bristol with a background in computer science. Before freelance life, among other things, she honed her management skills at the Environment Agency, where she managed large business change projects. She's co-founder of GreenTech Southwest and is on a mission to raise awareness about the environmental impact of digital tech. Check out Let's Green the Web on Twitter. She also likes dogs, plants and snow. And Hannah is just an all round brilliant person. I've always been interested in sustainability and I've always felt a very deep affinity and a deep connection with with the earth around me. I've, I've had that ever since I was a kid. Um, but it's really only in the last two years that I've realised that sustainability and digital go together and that they, they have a relationship with one another. Um, so I worked at the Environment Agency for a very long time. I was there for about seven years in total. And when I was there, there was this general mindset that digital is better because we could see the reams of paper that came in when people filled in consultations online or when they submitted information, business planning information or any kind of information. We, we'd see it, you know, we'd, we'd stack it in the office and we'd have a physical problem of where on earth do we put all this blinking paper that's around us? So there's always, there's always been this sort of um, this feeling that, that digital is better. And as we know, you know, you've taught me a, a lot about this. Um, we know that digital is just largely unseen. And that is the beauty of it, isn't it? You, you delegate it out to someone else. It's someone else's problem to manage and store that information for you. Um, you just want to be able to access it. So it's really only been in the last couple of years that I've realized, um, wow, okay, hang on. All is all is not what seem, what one seems to think. Um, you know, whoever whoever came up with the terminology, the cloud, I think, you know, what a brilliant bit of marketing that's been, because it really does invoke this feeling of something quite harmless that's, that's sort of floating around and intangible. And it's really not, is it? It's 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 quite the opposite. Um, <laughs> so I think in the last two years, I've really, on a personal level, really started to, to dig into this stuff and, and realise that there's, there's a connection between these two things. I mean, I've always been mindful about the amount of stuff I have in my life. So I've always been very mindful about not buying the latest gadgets anyway. And that's only because I just don't like stuff very much. Um, but yeah, the last two years, I've really realized just how much of an impact that stuff has that I had really, you know, no, no real idea about. And I do these days. And it's interesting as a, as a tech professional. So as you know, Jerry, I'm a developer. And I work with code and like, I'm not really someone that I would describe as being sucked in by the new and the shiny, but I do love a good new code framework or I do love this, this offer or this, this opportunity to use something new that, that might make my life as a developer better. You know, and I think that's wonderful. Great, isn't it? You know, people solving problems and uh you know trying trying to to make things better for themselves and then you know making that code available to others but what i hadn't kind of realized is that all this code starts to add up and yeah sure you might be using this code base to solve one problem but actually it comes bundled with a load of other features that you you don't need or you don't want it's not always easy to turn it all off 
Um, so as a developer, I've really started to sort of look into thinking about what I'm loading into something, what's running in the background, um, and why. Why is it running? What is it there? What's it doing? Um, I guess an observation for me is that it's um, it's an awful lot to know as a developer to, to you know to be thinking all the time about what what exactly is this this bit of code I'm loading in doing down to the the nth degree. Um, but yeah, there, there is a lot of excitement around that too. So I can kind of understand to some degrees why in the, the developer world we've ended up with all this kind of nutty bloated code. It's come from a good place, I think. But I think, yeah, there is an opportunity for us to sort of take a step back now and kind of have a bit of a reassessment about what we're what we're creating and why. Yeah, no, that, that that's... Um... A great story and a classical story in a way, you know, I mean, the same with myself. It's really, I'm, I was maybe a year ahead of you in figuring it, you know, I mean, I've been working in, in the web industry for 25 years. And, and you know, I, I, I sometimes say if, if it, it takes everyone else as long to figure it out as it took me, well, we've no hope. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. like... I, I, I'm not, you know, it was just exactly a kind as you described. So I'm not going to go into the story from from my side. But, you know, that sense of, yeah, that it is a lot of, it's hard work, isn't it, Hannah, when you have to really, it's easier to take the prepackaged um, framework than to really, you know, have to t- think deeply. And is that the, the, the a root cause that, you know, these frameworks or whatever are a response to increasing complexity. Uh, but, you know, the, the price we pay for the convenience is waste. Or is there a way to, you know, is there a way, do you see frameworks or approaches to code development that, you know, can give that convenience, but not, you know, don't you know bring all the packaging of the of the waste that comes with it these solutions to complexity seem to come embedded with a lot of waste uh that that uh instead of picking out that you know that little bit of code that'll really address the problem uh that little bit of code comes with another couple of hundred lines of stuff that you don't need, but because it's all neatly packaged together, it's hard to dissect the little bit of code that you really need and and, and to not take all that other stuff that, that actually the page or the function or the form or whatever is happening doesn't actually need it. Uh, that, that, you know, or are there new models that are, trying to address that issue or you know um what what's your experience there yeah so i think you said something really interesting there which is do solutions to complexity come embedded with waste in them and i think you can't give a yes or a no answer to that because it's only going to be waste if you don't know what to do with it or if you don't know how to leverage something within the code base that you're using um now, something that I struggle with all the time, so I'm a self-employed freelancer, there's only one of me, I can't keep up with all these new 
solutions that are being created. So do I think that I embed waste in some of what I do? Yeah, probably, because I can't I can't always understand or I don't always have the time to deep dive into all the code packages or frameworks that I'm using. Um, I probably only use the surface of it. Um, probably with the exception of WordPress core itself, I'm probably pretty pretty comfortable with what to do there, but WordPress itself comes built with gosh, you know, the, the ability to add plugins and themes and, and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, are there solutions? That was the other part of your, your question. Like, is, is there a way to reduce this waste? Could be if we all slowed down a little bit. Um, the, the, the pace at which we are developing new solutions, uh, new frameworks, new ways of doing things is mind-blowingly fast. And that is incredibly exciting. But I don't think as a technical coding community, we often pause enough to let everybody catch up with what we're doing. Um, and I think there, therein is an, an intrinsic oh, sort of set of compromises that we have to make of um, innovation versus uh, accessibility for all. And I think in the tech industry at the moment, we are a little bit too swayed towards innovation and the new and the shiny rather than actually making the tools and services that we create accessible to all. And I think if we slowed down a little bit, um, everyone would probably be quite grateful, <laughs> actually, I think. <laughs> We're caught in a, a kind of a trap, as you say, there, innovation. I've been thinking about innovation and, and uh, recently, and I, I was thinking that, you know, actually innovation is probably a key contributor to climate change and global warming because the very act of innovation is is a very resource intensive type of activity and and that as you're constantly churning through innovations um you you are rapidly consuming materials and and producing and wasting stuff because you you're constantly moving on to the next thing so to speak so the thing behind it is no longer useful or is less useful and becomes more more wasteful and and a lot of the time like I, I look at a lot of this activity over the years and I say well what's actually being achieved you know all this frenetic innovation is you know what what great things are actually being done with all all, all of this that you know so many websites that I come across could could and should operate in a vastly simpler framework. Uh, they really don't need. Most websites are still quite basic. You know, they're still you know the uh, you know ninety five out of a hundred websites are not complicated things. <laughs> no, they're they're really not. Um... Yeah, I mean, the, the vast majority of them are essentially text and images, aren't they? But, exactly, yeah. But, you know, we've got trends and, and fashions that, that now suggest that, you know, it's important to have those images flashing in and moving in because everybody's losing their, their focus and their attention span. So, uh, you know, so we've got, because of, of that societal problem, probably being caused by tech in the first place, to be honest, um, we've we've got sort of loads of different approaches and frameworks for 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 
you know, animating images and wiggling images around and 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 focusing focusing people's attention or, or rather trying to grab their attention. Um, so yeah, we do see sort of some small small little fringe changes, but I do I do agree with you. You know, a website is fundamentally text and images. Okay, video as well, but I don't think video in itself is a bad thing. Um, it just depends on what it's used for. Um, you, you said something really interesting earlier. You sort of said, or oh, change is a, is a resource intensive activity. And boy, it, it really is, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people who are developers get really excited by change, um, get really excited by new. I mean, I don't know if there's any stats around this. I bet there are, but I reckon you'd find that like 95% of projects that developers start never get finished. Go, There is something very, very exciting about being in control, about being in charge of, of something um, and creating something. And there is something a lot more humdrum about maintenance. I, I think you're right. And I mean, something, a lot of your content that comes out... Um, has got me thinking along with uh, some content by Tim Frick who's who's based over in the US I'm sure you've come across Tim by now yeah yeah and it's this idea of kind of uh, of maintaining your content and um you know actually that to be truly sustainable you are maintaining your content for the longer term and we know that that's good marketing practice because we know that 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 that, that is good for SEO and I do think developers in general could take this mindset into their code base and think, OK, well, you know, if I'm creating this code, what's going to happen to it? Not in one year's time, but in five years time, in five years time, is this going to be a benefit to someone? Are there going to be plans in place that we can manage this? Am I going to have written anything down and documented anything? Because that's another thing that most devs <laughs> We'll do under duress, but, you know, normally uh, <laughs> there's a lot of cajoling involved. And I, I do think as a, as a, as a tech community, I, I do think we could put a bit more time and effort into that stuff and talk less about the rock star side of development, because oh my, that phrase just winds me up. <laughs> I hate that phrase. You're a rock star developer. Can we... I don't know we need some better terminology that kind of praises the developers that are that think about the long-term maintenance and that do those kinds of tasks and that keep things running and that repair their code rather than throwing code away um so I work in with WordPress um WordPress you know we'll have some people cheering and we'll have some people sucking through their teeth going oh my goodness why are you doing that but WordPress is really, really interesting software because we've, it's just had its 18-year anniversary, um, which is an incredibly long time for some software to be around. 18 years is, is something quite, quite remarkable. Um, and so there were sort of online celebrations and you know, people talking about WordPress. And a number of stories surfaced around people updating WordPress from versions that are 10, 12 years ago. And that the sites still run and their sites still work. And I think a lot of people don't like WordPress, A, because they don't understand it, but B, because it's been around a long time and has this perception of not being new and shiny. But actually, if you take a step back and think about what that software has achieved, 
It is, right? And, you know, I think that there's a real case there for saying that, you know, WordPress has a lot of the hallmarks of sustainable software, given the longevity of it and given how backwards compatible. When you think of how crazy the world we exist within, within this web development or design world, that, you know, I mean, in, in human terms, 18 isn't old. And humans are just a blip in, in time. Like, I mean, if you, if you, if you understand physics or the, or the age of the universe, I mean, we're just, you know, it's utterly inconsequential. And yet, and yet we've come into this technology world where, where two, something that's two years old is old. I mean, how crazy and twisted. And, and this is one of the core problems that I began to realize. But you know, if you keep changing things every two years, you're, you're changing resources as well. And, you know, you're dumping or degrading or, you know, the, the other resources that go, that go to waste or else, you know, they hang around in the architecture and get pulled down every time person loads the page, but they never get used. So they're even worse, you know, in in the process that sometimes you'll you'll find pages that get stuff added to them, you know, just continue to get bloated over time. Or but but this sense, like as you said, what what's going to happen to this in five years? I mean, nobody seems to have the you know ability to think beyond two years. It's amazing. How are we going to save the planet if we've got a, a bunch of developers who can't think beyond two years? If, if software is supposed to help us save the planet. It, I mean, climate crisis isn't, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not something you can do a sprint for and, and fix it, you know? Oh, God, no. No, it's interesting. An image just popped into my head. So um, for, for, for the last four years, I've been teaching on a coding boot camp um, based, based in Bristol, where I'm from. I often used to say to the students, when you're trying to solve code problems, the best thing you can do is really take your time, take it slowly. And I, I remember saying to them, one, one of the things that got me into tech sort of 20, 20 odd years ago was the, the film, The Matrix. There's that scene where they're looking at the matrix in code and there's like three or four screens around the operator and there's all these like characters running up and down the screen. And I always remember seeing that image and feeling so excited and being like, wow, you know, tech, you can literally save the world and you can literally save the world through, you know, reading, quickly changing characters and, you know, everything about the film was was very sort of got quite high, high, um, high energy and quite intense and quite fast. <laughs> I used to say to the, the students on my boot camp, I was like, if you've seen The Matrix and you you think that tech is going to be like that that film scene, I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but actually good tech is anything but. Good tech is slow and thoughtful and actually most of the time quite boring. <laughs> I think as a tech society, we need to get a little bit more back to that um, and have less of the sort of the, the, the notions of everything's got to be fast moving and your characters are whizzing across the screen and everything's happening at, happening at a million miles an hour and just slow down a little bit. That's one of the core characteristics, I think, of digital is speed because, you know, it a kind of it has this inherent fluidity to it because of its impermanence, you know, because it's 
you know, because it's not a chunk of wood or it's not a chunk of steel, you know, it's it's digital is just a more fluid thing. So it, it tends to it seems to orient itself more to to speed. So we need we need to train people in ways to slow down that that probably a carpenter wouldn't require to train their students, you know, in the sense of, you know, there seems to be just part of the digital culture that a kind of scream speed, whereas, you know, if you want to make a piece of furniture, you know, or, or a piece of steel, you know, there is a certain, you know, constraint either from the furnace or the chisel or the whatever, you know, that, that constrains the over reaction. And, and maybe that's part of the, why they pull all these frameworks because they don't want to take the time to write the 15 lines of code that really is all that's needed. And it's easier just to pull down 600 lines of code that does the thing, but also does 20 other things as well, which they don't need it to do. Yeah, it's really, really interesting there, likening traditional hands-on craftsperson. Um, I know a few people who describe themselves as, as web crafters, not developers, but web crafters. And I think that subtle change in terminology is really nice. It is. Yeah, I was just thinking when you were talking that the in, inherent in the word developer is develop. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, like it is it would develop in another word for create. It's not it's not we're you know, so it's not a maintainer, it's not a craft, it's a you know, it's a kind of you know, the um, that language reflects the production culture uh, that you know and it's interesting to hear that some people you know are are no longer wish to use that type of label. Mm. Interesting. I, I mean, I, the term engineer doesn't get used as much these days. People do tend to refer to themselves as software developers rather than software engineers. But I think engineering does give me a slightly different um, mm. sense of the of the of the industry as well. I don't know about you. I tend to think of engineering as a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, well, it's more comprehensive. I think it's a it's a more it's a deeper word in in the sense it 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 evokes a greater breadth of thinking to me anyway i think it does i think that's you know that that's a really interesting point isn't it that yeah even the roles that we call ourselves they have an innate urgency in them and an innate sense of speed i mean i'm so 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 grateful within the now, I was going to say the developer industry. Maybe I should say the software engineering industry. Um, <laughs> you got me thinking about that now. I am grateful within the code industry, whatever we want to call it, that we're talking a lot more about mental health now. It's undeniable that there can be a lot of pressures on you as a developer. Um, you know, I work on my own and I put an awful lot of time and energy into my mental health and actually, one of the things that I do the most is to try and find ways to help myself slow down and breathe a bit more and, and just go slightly slower, because I actually know that longer term, my solutions are way better. Um, 
it, it actually feels a bit like an almost a daily fight for me to, yeah. to, to manage those emotions. Well, it's so important, but, and you know, the, the, it's, it's, and and again, I, I know I use the words as well, but I hate, you know, even fight. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, the we we're so, you know, we're going to fight against COVID nineteen, yeah. and we're going to fight. You know, like the language really matters. Like uh, uh, my wife uh, gets me every night before we go to sleep. She says um, she's really she studies a lot about positive psychology. Mm-hmm. And, and we each have to name three things we're grateful uh-huh. for today, yeah. you know, that, that happened. And, you know, uh, this stuff helps, you know, and, and, and you know, um, the effort you make every day is is so important. And so, you know, because you, you, you're not going to say, oh, I'll, I'll live crazy for nine months and then I'll I'll take two weeks to fix my mental health. Like it's, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, you know. <laughs> You, you you fix it every day or you break it every day, you know, in, in, in the process. So, you know, it's, it's wonderful to hear that you're investing that time to nurture that, that essential, you know, well-being uh, and, and that, you know, you keep coming back to, to slowing down. Like, you know, um, we, we look at the reverse from fast food, fast, everything is what's killing the planet. Mm. You know, the, the processing, that that occurs either in food or, or or whatever, but but speed, you know, in so many areas, you know, whether you know fast delivery from Amazon mm. is more damaging than than waiting for three or four days for for delivery. So after a certain point, after you know, when you start driving, you know, and it it just obeys the laws of thermodynamics or whatever, you know. Up to thirty miles, you know, fifty, you know. But once you get up to a certain speed, dangers increase significantly. Energy consumption really jumps. So, you know, to move a vehicle at six hundred versus twelve hundred miles an hour, you know, the amount of energy required to get a, you know, for Jeff Bezos, the idiot, to go up into space for three minutes, you know, just so as he can say he's been in space. You know what an idiot, childish thing to do. Like it's like a, the, the world has been run by thirteen-year-old idiots. Uh, you know that I've been up in space for three minutes. I bet you haven't. <laughs> you know, like it's so stupid. And and yet th- these are the people who are. You know, but it's all about speed. It's all about you know that that and and figuring out that obviously you don't want to be too slow because. You know, you won't you won't get a lot of places. But once you, you know, we all have a, a threshold like, a, you know, like if you get hit at 30 miles an hour or 25, mm. you have a good chance of surviving. Mm. But if you get hit at 60 miles an hour, you have very little chance of surviving. And I think if, if we're working at 60 miles an hour, our, our mental health is going to suffer a lot more than if we're working at 30 miles an hour. And as you say, We'd probably do much better work at thirty miles an hour. I think I think we would. I think we would certainly do less work, but I think that the work we would do would be the work that that cuts out the noise and it's the stuff that really matters. I mean, but, but is it? You know, I'm sorry for interrupting. Okay. You, but is it? Is it less work? Like you know, like uh, or is uh, maybe it's less volume. 
you know, but it's not it's not less work. If we consider work, like wasn't Einstein asked once, you know, if you if you if you got an hour to solve a, a really difficult problem, how would you spend the hour? And he said, I'd spend fifty five minutes thinking. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's you know, and, and and sometimes we don't consider thinking as work. We only consider developing. <laughs> you know, I'm only I'm only working when I'm coding. I'm not I'm not working when I'm thinking because often the slowness gives us the time to think. I think that's so true. I mean, I can think of so many examples of working with my own clients where and where they'll contact me and they'll be like, oh, hey, Hannah, um, we've got this really urgent thing that we need to do quickly. Here we go. <laughs> right. OK. So why is this urgent? And they'll give me some sort of reason generally to do with a team meeting that's just happened where everybody's decided they're going to do this thing. And then it's suddenly become urgent. And actually, I've trained most of my clients now to know that they're not going to get good results out of me if if they want me to, to react to something really fast. I'm quite an introvert, so I do like time to think about things. And I've really, really realized the power of that. And often I get a request like that from my client. I sit on it for a week, just see what happens. And nine times out of 10, the requirement either then goes away or suddenly it's become less urgent or it's changed. And I do find that, again, that just that confidence of being patient and just letting it play out, letting the enthusiasm die down, letting the sort of the dust settle a little bit can pay off so much, both in terms of, you know, my time, but also the business's time as well. If it's still really important in a week's time, then I know it's actually, okay, really important. But, you know, so often it it changes and I'll get like, oh God, okay, it's urgent. And I feel my sort of, you know, my my breathing change. And, um, but yeah, just, just sitting on it, that little bit of time does make all the difference. And again, I think that that is something that, um, as develop as developers or as 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 code craftspeople or whatever we whatever we decide the new term is, I, th- I think that that's something we should all learn and be taught. No, it's a great. I think it's a great principle. It's a great. I knew somebody once, you know, who said uh, they nearly never responded to their email, certainly immediately, because mm. they said if it was actually important, somebody had emailed them again yeah. or else they'd ring. <laughs> You know, or or they'd, they'd use another form of communication to, you know, and that was, you know, what you just said reminded me of that sort of mm. these habits, the habits of, of, of the slow people, you know, the, the, you know, the, to embrace, because we know slow food and slow that, you know, the, that so much good, you know, uh, can come from slowness. Sometimes, yeah, well, you don't want to be slow uh, on a football game or something like that. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, like it's not if the keeper is really slow when the penalty is taken. You know, that's not a good. That's not a good uh, strategy. But in so many areas of life, you don't need to be racing around like a lunatic. You know, and and particularly when it comes to doing something of substance and something, as you say, that will last you know, has the capacity to be to, to last or, or, you know, be reused in five years time. And, um, you know, so that 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 concept of slowness and uh, uh, 
you know, and maybe it's the wrong word as well. You know, it's more thinking. It's more giving yourself time to think and to really work through, is this really an urgent problem? And to, to ask these core questions rather than to constantly react to the stimulus that has just emerged in your environment. Very much. I mean, you, you know, to put put some, I think there's only one type of problem where I will literally jump when somebody asks me to, and that, that's if there is a bug on a production level system. So if something's broken in production, that, that is something I will jump for. Um, but nine times out of 10, a bug that's been introduced to the system is as a result of trying to do something too quickly. So that's not to say that I don't ever get bugs in my code. Of course I do. I'm human after all. But when you pace yourself with the development and do the development slower, you are far, far, far more likely to put a robust solution in place um, and therefore actually have fewer bugs and therefore not have to be in this cycle of jumping, you know, all the time. Um, So, you know, I say to my clients, if you find a production level problem, put it on my ticketing system and, and address it as bug. And those are the things that when they pop through, I say, oh, okay, oh, you know, really sit up and, and pay attention. Um, so there's some interesting interesting stuff around there. You know, you just create this sort of almost self-fulfilling prophecy of, of having to work quickly if, you're, if what you're pushing out is, is quick in the first yeah. place. When you'd be looking at a site somebody else has done or... Do you see common type of issues of waste of, you know, unnecessary, oh, yeah, this taking nine seconds to download and 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 the reason is, oh, do you know, have you noticed any patterns or new patterns or that tend that things that people deliberately skip or, you know, don't uh, focus enough attention on or... Um, that results in a, a real common pattern of of wasteful practice in web design. Is there anything that you would know? Oh, I keep seeing this. You know, why is it? Why does everybody do this? You know, when when they really shouldn't, or anything like that. I think the one for me is analytics. That is the one the one thing that when I inherit a slight and someone tells me it's slow. Okay, there will be other reasons as well, but the most common one is an excessive use of analytics programs. Um, I think people feel that there's safety in data, <laughs> but actually, that, that you know, it usually just slows things down. So that you know, what I see is a team has a marketing team or a development team have gone. Oh, we need to measure X because you know this is a is a goal for the company. They put system in place to measure X, but nobody ever then comes back to remove X when they then decide that the next thing they want to measure is Y. And so you just get layer upon layer upon layer of analytics programs. Um, And they do, I think, you know, they can really slow the site down. It's noticeable when Hotjar, for example, is on a site or you've got GTM, uh, Google Tag Manager, loading in various other other analytics things um hubspot which is a a way of um, embedding forms into websites seems to come with loads and loads of analytics um i think that for me if you know 
had to point my finger at one thing, it would be analytics and, and this, this need for data collection, which is not always unjustified, but it is often uh, implemented and then just kind of overlooked in the future, forgotten about. Um, another thing, you know, you sort of, sort of said, what well, when you look at a new code base, you know, there, are there any other things? When I look at a code base, I can always tell what kind of client I'm working with by the quality of the code. If I've got a code base, I mean, obviously, it will the code base will give me some indication of the developer as well. But if I've got a code base that's a right royal mess, um, I can usually hazard a guess that that client is someone that's going to work quite quickly, is going to be innovative. And I don't mean innovative necessarily in a negative way, because innovation can be really exciting and, and can be really, um, you know, beneficial. Um, but if it's a client that, that you know, flexes and changes a lot, I can nearly always tell that from, from their WordPress code base, because it'll be a mess. <laughs> There'll be stuff in all over the place that's not being used or templates that haven't been cleaned up, um, you know, or CSS that's, you know, all over the place. And clients that generally want quick results out of developers will get a code base that's like that. I was talking to Tom um, uh, Greenwood. He was saying, you know, there's an awful lot you can do with a megabyte. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's an awful lot you can do. I mean, most web pages don't need to be a quarter of a megabyte uh, in, in size. And yet they're four megabyte in size. Absolutely. And again, it all comes down to slowing down because as a content creator, I do quite a lot of writing and, you know, I do some teaching as well. And I'll, I'll be doing more of that uh, coming up as well with an interesting project that I've got coming up. That actually, it, it's actually really, really hard to put a distilled paragraph out. It's much easier to bash out a whole page of content than actually refine it down and think about, OK, what is what is I, what am I trying to communicate? What is my key message here? If you're in a hurry, you tend to write more, don't you? Yeah. Then if you're in a, you know, you're taking your time and you're really distilling what you're doing down to make it useful. I think the same is absolutely true of coding as well. You know, if you're in a hurry, you'll produce more. Actually, the best days that I have at the office are the days where I can take code out. Those are always my favorite days. I always feel great. <laughs> When I get the opportunity to remove code from something, well, that it's it's a great principle, and you kind of back quoting Tom again earlier. He he was saying he was agreeing with you about the the analytics, and and um, that he says you know most websites don't even need any analytics, and and that that's what I've learned over the years. Like you know, I I remember working on I used to be web trends back in the nineties. So that was the that was the bit. And I remember sitting around in so many meetings and people, you know, trying to look intelligent, figure out what the hell web trends meant and whether all oh, the bounce rate went up or the blah or, you know. And basically, most of the metrics are crap. You know, most of them, you know, they've no meaning. They've no, they've no useful meaning. It does, it's not like it tells you, oh, don't go out now because it's raining. It, it doesn't, doesn't really give you useful. It's just... Well, it could mean this and it could mean that. It could be raining. It could be snowing. It could be sunny. You know, um, actually, you know, a lot of, you know, like I said, you got to, it's a pandemic. 
you know, a health website is getting a lot of traffic. Whoa, you know, like what, like that's, you know, volume in many situations can be a negative indicator, you know, not a positive indicator. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a shitty product with loads of bugs in it and you've got loads of people coming to your website trying to figure out how to overcome an issue, you've got lots of traffic. You know, so you've got, so in, in a huge number of situations that I, I was in, the organizations didn't need any analytics. Maybe, maybe they could turn them on for two months in the year, but, but they didn't really make really much of a difference in, in, a, in anything other than analytics theater, you know, the, of uh, somehow proving that your little campaign actually did something. You know, when all it did was annoy the hell out of people. But, you know, you got some analytics that showed whatever. But that, again, I suppose these, these analytics are, are, they are a reflection of our, our need, our, our vanity for, met, for metrics and our vanity for showing that we've created volume. There's a really that's a really good point, and I was just thinking back to some of my experiences when I was at the environment agency. So, I would you know end up at a lot of board meetings and committees and things when I was at the environment agency, and data was never the problem. So there was always plenty of data around, you know, what water quality issues we had, or what bathing waters were safe, or or you know whatever. The issue wasn't data per se; it was analysis intelligent analysis that actually told you something um and that was always the pinch point you know so these you know senior executives would just get given pages upon pages of pages of data and you know you can't make head nor tail of that data when you're sat in a meeting with with someone it's it's the intelligent analysis that then tells you the cause of that data and what could be done about it that's that's the intelligent part. That's the that's the part of value. And I think that like, oh well, the solution is just some software. Look, we you know we can solve your analytics headaches by giving you easy access to all the data, but it never solves the under the fundamental problem of of then understanding. It creates the even bigger problem that you know reminds me a little bit of this analysis I've done of photography of you know try. Uh, the amount of digital photographs. I mean, last year we took 1.4 trillion photos. We took more photos last year than in the entire 20th century. And, and what happens in that environment is that uh, people, the, the, there's now professions in the US, photo managers. And this woman was saying, the average family takes 5,000 photos. Well, when you're taking 5,000 photos, you can't find the good one. You know, so when you're when you're collecting so much data, you get to a point where where the the new data smothers any analytical ability to really find the useful data. So so we're in a situation now where we're constantly feeding, and we can't stop feeding each other. And the more the more we feed ourselves with data, the less we're able to analyze it. Uh, I I've never seen. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, I've never seen less information architecture skills around. Like back in the 90s, I had more conversations about how do you structure this? How do you classify this? It's like today people just feel like, well, you can't. So let's just give up. Google will figure it out. Let's, let's not even try. 
you know, you can't create an information architecture because we've just got too much data. So we won't create any information architecture or essentially, or, or else we'll do it so quickly and on, on such a whim, you know, and with, with so little expertise. Like it's, it's a strange world that as, as data explodes, actually the skills to understand it become even rarer. Yeah, they do. They, they really do. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I was just thinking about the photo manager. I mean, um, so so one of the things that I love doing in my free time is snowboarding. It's like my absolute favourite, favourite sport. And so you see so many people on the slopes with GoPros attached to their camera or attached to their chest, whatever. And my husband and I were like, should we get a GoPro to attach to the dog? Because that would actually be quite funny because she comes, you know, we'll go hiking, boarding and she'll like come running with us and stuff. And I just looked at him and I said, I just no, can we not? Because what that means then is that's less time for me snowboarding and more time in front of the blinking computer going through all the footage and deciding what to do with it. And I, I don't want that burden of that data in my life. I don't I don't want to have to be responsible for it. Because that's a key, I think, Hannah, it's something that I've, that we do far less thinking, real thinking today. We're constantly looking for something to do the thinking for us, to do the feeling for us, to do the living for us, to experience the holiday for us. We can't experience the holiday if we don't experience it through a a GoPro or whatever, you know. But we actually can. We can experience it through our eyes. We can experience it through our nose and through our ears. You know, and we should use those things more rather than constantly looking to, you know, as much as we love technology, for technology to do the living and the thinking for us. I think that's an an absolutely excellent point. I really do. I mean, that's very much, you know, very much where where I've, I've ended up. Um, yeah, just let me be, (laughs) just let me be, let me have time. That's the most precious thing that anybody can give me is time. And I think it's the most precious thing that you can give to any, anything that you're working on is, is time. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, please check out my book, Worldwide Waste at jerrymcgovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts, please visit This Is HCD. Dot com.